0: This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Instead of teaching Hebrew and Greek to empower others to read scripture, modern Christians talk about how wonderful Jesus is, how much he has done for them, and how much they love him. Instead of leading Bible study, they testify to miracles in their life and why others should believe. The problem with this approach is that it is in direct disobedience to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 27 to 31. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos, And this
1: is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to episode 275 of the Bible as Literature podcast. You know, Richard, when we did the Gospel of Mark on this program, one of the questions was this false notion of a messianic secret. And of course, in our work on Mark, we demonstrated that the reason Jesus kept asking people not to say anything was because no one understood his teaching. They looked at the gospel of the kingdom through a fleshly lens and therefore couldn't be trusted to talk about the resurrection. Because if you make the resurrection in your image, in the image of your worldly human mind, it's going to end up being a teaching that's fundamentally different than the proclamation of the kingdom, and of the resurrected Messiah in the gospel. Now, in Matthew, we have this pattern again of Jesus asking people not to say anything, but the emphasis is different. And for me personally, it's rewarding to see how these differences surface between the different gospel narratives. In Matthew, it seems that there's this persistent Insistence. How does that sound? There's this persistent insistence that Jesus does not want anything worldly. He doesn't want to be a worldly king. He's not interested in anything that comes from what Paul and Galatians would call the
1: flesh. And we've had such important moments that confirm exactly what you're saying, Father, throughout Matthew. I mean, we have the genealogy at the beginning, which confirms that Jesus is not a son of David. We have the Sermon on the Mount, which says that whatever acts of piety or righteousness that you do, no one is able to see them except God. And the scribes and the Pharisees are a problem precisely because they want everyone to see these things. This is exactly what Matthew is focusing on only God needs to know people don't need to know your glory does not come from humans because when your glory comes from humans it's just about your ego and when it's all about your ego then all kinds of wickedness results you are not allowed to seek glory from human beings ever in any way when the centurion debased himself as a Roman in front of this Jewish tradesman From the north, from the boonies, he was not seeking earthly glory, but he understood the chain of command, and he understood what the word of Jesus meant and how it functioned.
0: And of course, here in this pericope, we're going to have yet another encounter that reinforces this mechanism in the Gospel of Matthew in the story of the two blind men. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him crying out, Have mercy on us, O son of David. Now, right out of the gate, the fact that we have two blind men is very important because in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, and in chapter 19, verse 15, we are reminded that two witnesses or even three witnesses are required if you are going to determine whether or not someone is worthy to be put to death. And that's a very powerful. Reference when we think of the direction of the Gospel of Matthew and the outcome of the life of Jesus in the story. And so you have two witnesses crying out in the presence of Jesus, asking for mercy, and referring to him specifically as the son of David. And I think that title sets up the tension nicely for what we will encounter later in verse 31. Because we know from the genealogy that the Lord Jesus is a new David. He is the fruit of the line of the promise through Isaac, something that once again was made clear in the way the genealogy resets and therefore does an end run around the line of Jacob in order to present us with the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they still want him to be a son of Jacob.
1: That's the problem with that title, son of David. It's a huge problem. I mean, first of all, we know in Matthew chapter one that he's not a son of David. So already we know that these blind men do not understand what's going on. They don't understand the point that Matthew's trying to make. Secondly, why do they say son of David? I mean, why not just Jesus? What is the point of saying son of David? Because they want to recognize him as an earthly king. But what can an earthly king do for a couple of blind men? I mean, you know, they've got a lot of money, they've got a lot of power, and, you know, sometimes people get misled and then start to think that this earthly king somehow has a direct line to God or to the supernatural and can do supernatural things. And so therefore, what this king can do is something magical so it could start to sound maybe that the centurion was doing this but this is not what the centurion was doing the centurion believed in jesus's authority but these blind men are appealing to him as a king but the king is a bit different because the king in a lot of people's mind they have a direct line to some kind of power that the other people don't have they want to pay him a kind of respect that they wouldn't pay to other people. Jesus is saying that you cannot be seeking the glory of other human beings, but here are these human beings who are trying to flatter Jesus by calling him the son of David and trying to get him to do something by manipulating him, by talking about how great and how powerful he is, and blah blah blah, and this is how human leaders function is they want their human followers to flatter them to make them feel good, even the ones who talk about how humble they are, they want their followers to you know to oh no, father, you're not so humble, oh king you're you're oh king, you're so humble, it's so wonderful to hear you, oh no, you're not so bad, oh, you're great, and this is how. People in power manipulate those without power. These blind men are trying to manipulate Jesus by calling him a son of David, and they precisely miss the point of what Matthew is trying to teach about Jesus. He's not a son of David. He's a different king. He does not seek the glory of human beings, but only of his father by doing his father's will. Therefore, it's not his call whether these blind men are healed or not even though they try to flatter him and make it his call. It's not about Jesus the person. It's about what Jesus is trying to teach. When he
0: entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you trust that I am able to do this? They said to him,
1: Yes, Lord. Jesus confronts them. What do you trust? What do they trust in? Do they trust that he can do this? But this is a tricky question, because is it about Jesus? or is it about his teaching? It seems that the blind men were around when Jesus healed the dead girl, because it was right when he left the house that these blind men started calling out to him. So what do they believe in? Do they believe in Jesus's magical powers, or do they believe in Jesus's word? This is the test, and Jesus is going to test them. Now, one of the funny things when I read two blind men i can't help but think of the blind leading the blind we have two blind people who are leading each other to jesus we'll see by the end they don't get to a great place what do they trust in jesus the person or jesus's word well
0: it's even more pointed than the example you gave richard your example is correct but think about it again in terms of deuteronomy where you're bringing witnesses two or even three witnesses to determine whether or not a person is worthy of death of execution or whether or not they're guilty of some iniquity. Here, the witnesses being brought against Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew are blind. It's a very powerful metaphor. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your trust. And I'll repeat what I said last week. What he's saying in verse 29 is that you came to me and asked for help because you trust me. And so now I can help you. It's not because they formulated something in their mind or they made a leap of faith the way we talk about it in modern terms, like you chose to believe something that normally people would consider impossible, or you chose to believe something without evidence. That has nothing to do with the Gospel of Matthew. It boils down to whether or not you trust Jesus in the story, and by extension, whether or not you trust the story that presents Jesus to you. That's what we're talking about when we say trust in the teaching. Because at the end of the day, as addressees, the teaching we're receiving is the story of Jesus. Do we trust this teaching or not? Within that story, in the content of that narrative, these characters, these two blind witnesses, made a decision to trust that Jesus could help them. And because they came to Jesus, he could help them. That's what he means when he says, It shall be done to
1: you according to your trust. I love how you put that, Father, about how when we receive this teaching, then this is what we are to be responding to. And really, this grace that we receive when hearing the word of Scripture, the word of God, it's a judgment on us. The grace we receive because of grace but then we have to respond to that in a particular way how are we going to respond jesus says not because he wills that they're going to be healed he says according to your trust let it be done to you whatever you trust that's how it's going to unfold for you then you see what happens to them but then there comes a charge to them because it's a judgment they received this word And how they trust in this word is going to decide what their fate is. Put it this way. All children trust their parents, but not all parents are
0: wise. Let's be honest. The child that happens to have a wise parent and therefore puts their trust in a wise parent is going to have a different outcome in their life than the child who puts their trust in a foolish parent. It's that basic. In verse 28 and 29, you put your trust in a wise parent and therefore had a good outcome. You received according to your trust. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. This is what we touched on, Rich, at the outset of today's podcast, namely that in Matthew, the Lord charges his disciples not to speak because they don't know what they're talking about. Here in Matthew, it's different. He's charging them not to speak because he's not interested in applause and being called a son of David and in receiving all of the benefits of an earthly kingship. In Matthew, he was sent to destroy the line of the earthly king. He wants nothing material, nothing worldly, a point that in the Matthaean gospel will be pushed to its limit in the crucifixion.
1: Do they trust in what Jesus says? Jesus, like you said, wants nothing to do with earthly kingship. So if you actually trust in Jesus's word, then you would go along with what he's teaching, I would assume, such as what he taught in chapters 5 through 7 about earthly glory and human glory. This grace that they receive of being able to see comes with a judgment and a commandment. Don't tell anyone. Now, interestingly, at the beginning of chapter eight, when the leper wanted to be healed, he said, I will make you pure. I will purify you. I will cleanse you. Here, we don't have Jesus exclaiming his own will. He simply says, what you trust is what will happen. The commandment then says, don't tell anybody. Their ultimate fate will rest on not just the grace that they receive, but whether they're able to fulfill this commandment. Don't tell anybody. Not only is this to distance Jesus for any kind of human glory, it's about these blind people using Jesus for their own glory. It's about them using Jesus They want to use Jesus so that they can get a leg up on other people. Look what Jesus did for us. Look what Jesus did for us. Look what Jesus did for us. We're best buds. And then everyone who thinks that Jesus is an earthly king thinks that these blind men are getting some kind of special favors from this king, and the entire corrupt system continues on. Jesus is bringing in a new kingdom with a new kingship where currying favors with Jesus is not what it's about. It's simply about obeying the will of the Heavenly Father, who is the ultimate king, who is supremely just. He doesn't care if you flatter him. He doesn't care if you're really nice. He only cares about what is just. And when he is unjust, he is merciful.
0: And of course, do the two blind witnesses who have now received their sight listen to Jesus, (laughs) but they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. It's a beautiful test in Matthew, because all of the Christians hearing this story get excited about telling everybody about Jesus. But if you are Mathean to the bone, you're not running out to tell everybody about the miracles of Jesus, or how powerful Jesus is, Or how wonderful jesus is all of that is vain talk according to the gospel of matthew you're saying lord lord he's not interested in people who praise him it's very important he's interested in the teaching did you hear what he said do you trust it and clearly they didn't hear what he said so whatever they're doing they're not spreading the teaching of jesus because in verse 31 they're disobeying the teaching of jesus It's striking What's required of us is not to brag about the miracles of Jesus. What's required of us is, first and foremost, to trust in that instruction and to walk according to its commandments, and at the same time, to teach it. But you can't just teach it, you also have to do it. And if you're teaching it and doing it, you don't have time to
1: talk about how wonderful Jesus is. If you trust that Jesus can do this... Why don't you trust him when he says, don't go and tell everybody about this? Why? Because it's about you and it's about your ego. It's not about Jesus. It's not about what he says. I mean, people get excited when they read in John when Philip says, come and see, come and see. Oh, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out and tell people, come and see, come and see. When Jesus to the blind men says precisely the opposite, don't tell people to come and see. Don't tell anyone that this happened. Don't tell people what Jesus did for you. Don't go testifying to how great I am. That's number one. Follow his commandment. If you can follow this very simple rule, which is keep your darn mouth shut, then are you willing to go and do what he says in chapters 5 through 7, his very basic teaching in the New Testament about how you're supposed to pray, how you're supposed to fast, how you're supposed to act righteously, Do all of them so that nobody knows. This is not about people. Like we were saying so many times when we were going through chapters 5 through 7, you are not allowed to care what other people think. You're only allowed to care what God, the righteous judge, thinks. That's it. It's a zero sum game. People want to please people and God. It doesn't work. It's zero sum. You're either obedient to Jesus or you are disobedient to Jesus. The centurion understood this. And if you're obedient to Jesus, don't go blabbing your mouth about how great things are. Just go and do the work. Go and do the work. Obey the word. Act as if you actually believe in this word, that you actually trust in this word. It's so stark in Matthew because the earthly David, the earthly king, wants to get more people on board. So he wants you to go and do things. That's why they employ marketing and political campaigns so that they can get more people on board. Can you imagine a presidential candidate who says, forget that I did this great thing. Just go out and do what I said. Well, he's not going to get elected. He has to say, okay, go and spread the word on this. Go and spread the word on that. That's how human kings have to work. They have to get people on board. They have to convince people. Jesus doesn't convince anyone. He says, do you believe what I'm saying or not? If you believe it, go and do it. If not, goodbye. I'm moving on. I've got more people to deal with. I do not have a lot of time. There's no Twitter to get my word out. I have to do the footwork. When you hear the word of Jesus, when you hear the word of the Father in Scripture, you must do it. Not for your own ego. Not to spread the word on God but because you trust in the Word.
0: By the time this episode airs, it'll be Thursday morning, and for those of you who are Eastern Orthodox, it is, of course, Holy Thursday, and tonight you will celebrate the Matins of Holy Friday with the Twelve Passion Gospels. I want to encourage you as listeners of this podcast, when you hear the lengthy readings taking us through the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As you hear those stories, please be mindful that it is we who put Jesus on the cross. It is we who betrayed him. It is our communities as addressees of the story who are accountable for what happened to the Messiah. It's the only correct way to participate in the services of Holy Thursday. And to all of our catholic and protestant brothers and sisters who are also on this journey with us on the podcast who celebrated easter last weekend we wish you a blessed Pascha, and we hope for the day when all of us can celebrate on one calendar please accept our best wishes and the Paschal greeting christ is risen
1: indeed he is risen
0: thanks very much dr benton have a blessed Pascha yourself
1: you too father thank you